0: To, uh, to bring to your attention uh, many needs in the, in the life of, of our fellowship here in our our local church um, but but also um, needs of the universal church and uh, all through the, the pastoral epistles most of the references to the church are referring to specifically the local church this is the particular, gathering of the local gathering, and some of you not so local, gathering of the church. But we need to remember that we are part of one body in Christ. So easy, is it's so often easy to focus on the needs of, of our, well, even, even before focusing on the needs of our family, so often we focus on our own needs. And, and we go through life selfishly, really rarely considering Um, other people. We're also to consider not just ourselves and not just our families and not just our church family, but all of those saints around the world. And uh, I just want to bring your attention to something that uh, I just, up until this week, I really was not aware of the situation in Honduras. Um, It's there on the back of your bulletin, Um, Pastor Eduardo Maya uh, was murdered in Honduras on June 19th. And I didn't know this either, but but he is the eighth pastor to have been murdered in Honduras just since the beginning of 2013. And Honduras, I didn't know this either, but Honduras is actually considered the murder capital of the world, is the highest uh, rate of murder anywhere in the world. And so just, just thinking about, about Pastor Maya, and, and we need to be praying for, for his family, for his church family that, that is grieving his loss, and and to think about, you know, in, in a, a tiny country with, with very little in the way of evangel- evangelical witness, to have eight pastors killed in just six months is really mind blowing and, and so as we as we think about the, the, the direction that, that our culture seems to be taking and and we you know crimes that are being committed in, in our neighborhood uh, it's just a reminder that that our Lord is sovereign and that that none of us by worrying can add a a a single moment to our lives that the very hairs of our head are numbered, and not even a bird can fall from a tree without God knowing about it. And so just a reminder that, that, that God is, is sovereign. And, and even here um, in Honduras, God is sovereign. And God is not taken by surprise when, when horrible things like this happen, but he will use these things ultimately for the building of his church and for the glory of his name. So we we but we we are we are told to be praying that that the Lord would would raise up um, governments that would would allow Christians to be able to worship in peace and so we pray that we want to pray that for Honduras and we want to be continually pray for the the situation in in Kazakhstan uh, David Vogt is from Kazakhstan and uh, and here we have now it's the the Islam is is just infiltrated that country to such a, a an extent that it's now effectively illegal to form a church in Kazakhstan. I also need to be praying for uh, for, for Bill and Jane Milliken. For, for, for Bill, we're thankful to have you here today, Bill. Very thankful that you're able to be here today. And we want to be praying for you as you make that adjustment into the care facility and, and as as Jane continues to care for you. I want to be praying also for, for Caleb, whose, whose health... Continues to go up and down. We need to be praying uh, for the Pierce's, whose uh, whose who's Bryn's mother passed away last Sunday. And uh, there's a memorial service. Um, she was Roman Catholic, and there's going to be a, a service um, at the church. It's really not. It's a the, really. But the last thing I want to do is be going to a Catholic mass. Believe me. But uh, but I'm I'm going to be going as a support for. Bring this family and and we'll be having our own prayer um, at the back there standing really praying against what's happening there so this is life this is this is life and death this is this is what is being faced by our brothers and sisters here in our community and just a, a glimpse of the persecution that's being faced around the world so so with that in mind please let's I'm gonna be praying now but I would encourage you to take this home and to be just put it up on your fridge or something like that, and just be aware of these things. These are issues that we need to be praying for regularly. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that that although although we are living in a broken, sinful, even vile, enemy-infested world, Lord Jesus, we know that you came to call out sinners just like us unto salvation in you. Lord, just as you came and walked among your sinful creation, you, have, you didn't just save us and then bring us home immediately. You saved us in order to be salt and light in this dark world. And as the world gets darker and more foul, it's that much more important that we shine your light and that we act as a preservative against what's going on. So Lord, with, with that in mind, we just wanna pray for uh, the, the family and church of, of Pastor Maya in Honduras. We pray for the situation there in Honduras, Lord, that you would, would raise up a government that would stand firm for the, the the rights of Christians to be able to worship in peace. And Lord, a, a police force that would actually enforce the law but, Lord, at the same time, even as, as it's true in, in Honduras and it's true here, that, that our confidence ultimately does not lie in, in any government or any police force, but our confidence lies in you, sovereign, loving God. So we pray, Lord, that you would undertake for your church there in Honduras. We pray, Lord, that you would, would comfort Pastor Maya's family and his church as they, as they just grieve his, his horrible death. And, Lord, we pray that you would stem the tide of violence in that country so that the, the let the gospel go forth powerfully even in the midst of that let christians not cower in fear but be bold to proclaim the gospel knowing that there is a time that is appointed for us to die and that we cannot change that no man can change that even as we'll remember in our sermon today lord if you are for us who can be against us we also pray for the the situation in kazakhstan And uh, we pray for for Pastor Kesh Lord, who's now in prison, has been in prison since May. Lord, we pray that you would comfort him and comfort his church, comfort his family, Lord, with with gospel truths. And Lord, I pray that you would cause the gospel to break forth powerfully even in that prison. And Lord, that, that the authorities would see that it's fruitless to be arresting these men because the gospel just spreads wherever they go. And Lord, we also pray for those here, Lord, who are, are struggling. Lord, we pray for, for Caleb and for Bill as they, as they, they have, have ailing health. Father, we pray that, that you would be their source and that you would be their strength, that you would also comfort them with gospel truths. We pray the same for, for Jane as she cares for Bill, that she would also know your peace and your strength. Lord, we pray for for Bryn and Beverly and, and Jenna and Samara as they grieve the loss of Rita, Lord, and unless you miraculously did something there on her deathbed, Lord, it, it seems that she has gone to a Christless eternity, even while living in the in the midst of a of a supposed church system that that, that apparently claims Christ but is, is based on works and is is powerless to save anyone. Lord, we pray that you would cause Bryn and his family to shine your light. Lord, we I pray that you would help me to be able to encourage them. Lord, I pray for each one of us who are gathered here, Lord, who are, are grieving, whether it's relational difficulties or financial difficulties or health difficulties. Lord, that, that in this time that we have together, that you would cause us, Lord, to take our eyes off of ourselves and our circumstances and focus squarely on you. And Lord, I pray that that wouldn't be true just for this time we have together, but Lord, throughout our week, throughout our lives, Lord, help us just constantly to see difficult circumstances as an opportunity to trust you and to grow in our trust of you. And we ask this all in the most powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to be continuing this morning in our study of the Gospel according to John and and looking here at the second half, the second half of of John chapter 10 I'll be focusing on verses verses 22 to to 42 and that's on page 799 in your Pew Bible John chapter 10 verse 22 would you please stand if you're able out of honor to the word of our Lord My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gives them, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is the word of our Lord. Have you ever been in a situation when someone asks you a question, but then doesn't like the answer, so they keep on asking? It's like when your child comes to you and asks, Daddy, can I go over to Jimmy's house? And you say quite clearly, you can go to Jimmy's after you clean your room. And then an hour later, he comes to you again and says, Daddy, can I go to Jimmy's house? You ask if he's cleaned his room, and he says sheepishly, no. And then you reply, then the answer is also no. No. And then another hour goes by, and he comes to you again. Daddy, can I, go to you? can I go to Jimmy's? And then you ask, well, how is your room? Then he hangs his head and goes and asks his mother, upon which, when you hear about it, take him upstairs for an attitude adjustment. But then a couple of hours later, he comes back to you again. But beloved, it's not just children who act this way. All of us can be like this apart from the grace of God. We ask a question, but then we don't like the answer, so we keep coming back hoping that the answer has changed. So when you go to a doctor, it's a good idea to get a second opinion, but people often will go to different doctors hoping that they will get a more favorable diagnosis. When you're in a dilemma, there is wisdom in many counselors, but... There's only wisdom if you go to wise counselors. People often go to a lot of of different people and, and often the wrong people seeking the counsel that they want to hear. If the answer is the right answer, it stays the right answer no matter how many times you ask. And that's the situation that Jesus is facing in our text today. There's people who don't like the answer, so they keep coming back to Jesus again and again. Now, of course, parents might not always stand firm. They sometimes cave to pressure, reinforcing the children's sinful behavior. But Jesus never caves. Doctors may give you the wrong prescription or the wrong diagnosis, but Jesus is never wrong. Counselors may lead you astray, but Jesus Never leads you astray. John in this in this passage tells us that it's it's Hanukkah, it's the feast of of dedication, it's winter time, and Jesus is again in the temple. He's in Simon's Portico to be precise. Now, Hanukkah simply means dedication in Hebrew. Now, similar celebrations took place in the Old Testament at the dedication of the tabernacle in in Numbers 7.10, at the dedication of the altar in Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles 7.9, and the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem in Nehemiah 12.27. But Hanukkah here specifically commemorates the rededication of the temple in 165 B.C. after it had been desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes who made a sacrifice to Zeus in the Holy of Holies. And so, during the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire, Judas Maccabeus had led the people in a guerrilla war against the Seleucids. And they drove them out. According to tradition, Judas Maccabeus, led, Judas Maccabeus rather discovered a, a small flask of oil which would have been sufficient to light the, 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 the lamps in the temple for a day. But then there, as the people celebrated the rededication of the temple for, <clears throat> for eight days during that entire period, miraculously, the oil did not run out. So Hanukkah is also known as the Festival of Lights. Now, although there's no biblical mandate for the celebration of this specific feast, Hanukkah continues to be celebrated by Jews to this day as they, they decorate their homes with, with lamps and candles. And it takes place around the same time that many Christians celebrate Christmas or Incarnation Day. But although John provides this information as a timestamp, telling us that there's, it's now about three months after the Feast of Tabernacles, does so here um, to tell us a lot more than just the time of year. It tells us who Jesus is. As D.A. Carson explains, this passage focuses on two aspects of the identity of Jesus. He is the Messiah, verses 22 to 29, and he is the Son of God, verses 30 to 42. Now, we know this is ground that Jesus has already covered. He's already demonstrated his identity to the Jews repeatedly. And his identity is not going to change no matter what the Jews do or no matter what the Jews say. But also, no matter what Jesus does or what Jesus says, these Jews will not believe in him. Goats will never believe. His sheep, however, will And although some time has passed between the events of verses 1 to 21 this line of discussion is actually continued themes that jesus had introduced earlier in john chapter 10 are continued here there's still division over who jesus is sheep are still acting like sheep and goats are still acting like goats And John's announcement that this is the Feast of Dedication follows immediately after the condemnatory accusations of the many who said in verse 20 that Jesus has a demon and that he is insane. And the support of others in verse 21 who saw that Jesus' actions and his words are evidence of his true identity. So first of all in in verses 1 or sorry 22 to 29 Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. We we use this this term to refer to Christ to Jesus often as we say we say Jesus is the Christ, but we need to stop for a moment and think about what it really means that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is simply the Greek word for Messiah which means anointed. And specifically, to be anointed with with oil. That's what it pointed to. In the Old Testament, prophets and priests and kings were anointed with oil as, as a sign of their being set apart for the service of the Lord. An anticipation of the coming Messiah developed all the way through the Old Testament as Jews looked Forward to the anointed one who would serve as prophet, priest, and king. And this is especially evident in the servant songs of Isaiah. Isaiah sixty one one prophesies that the glorious role of the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now the Jews had been looking for the Christ. For the Messiah, the anointed one of God, but when he actually came, they were so warped in their sinful thinking, thinking that most of them actually rejected him. We've seen how Jesus repeatedly throughout his ministry fulfilled Isaiah 61 and so many prophecies of the coming Messiah. Messiah. But here these Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. The King James says, how long will you make us doubt? The Greek says literally, how long will you hold up our souls? Now this idiom isn't familiar to us in English, but the context provides the meaning. Don't keep us hanging. If you are the Christ, Tell us clearly. But this here with these Jews is no mere fact-finding mission. These Jews are literally circling around him, challenging him. They're asking this so that they can worship him. They're asking in order they might have grounds to attack him. But as usual, Jesus is not going to play by their rules. But now, in one sense, they're correct. Jesus has not ever directly told them that he is the Christ. He has never directly declared to the Jews that he is the Messiah. Now, we know that he had done so with a Samaritan woman at the well. She asked him in John 4.25, she said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. This is one of the most direct proclamations of Jesus that he is the the Christ in the whole of the Bible but he chooses not to make this revelation to the Jews he makes it to this Samaritan woman and we we went we studied that passage we talked at length about how the Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews and as a woman that she was looked down upon by men so she and she as an adulterer she was was cast down even lower in her culture But Jesus gave her the most supreme of blessings by by revealing his identity to her and calling her to life in him. Jesus also said it plainly to his disciples in Matthew 16, 13. He asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Even as Jesus is being interrogated by the council, just prior to his crucifixion, he refuses to answer them plainly. In Luke twenty-two sixty-seven, 67, they say to him, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. Matthew includes his full reply. You have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Matthew 26, 64. Now Jesus might not have said it plainly to them, but he did make it clear. And he answers them in verse 25. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. He had given them more than enough evidence of his identity. He said it with his works. He said almost exactly the same thing in John 5.36, For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Everything Jesus did demonstrated that the Father had sent him. Everything that he did. Every single thing. The miracles that Jesus performed revealed that he was the Messiah. The mercy that he demonstrated revealed that he was the Messiah. The ministry that he accomplished revealed that he was the Messiah. But that's not all. The message that Jesus delivered demonstrated that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, actions may speak louder than words, but Jesus' words spoke very loudly. In John 8, 24, he said to the Jews, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So in verse 25, they asked, Who are you? And he replied, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. And he went on in verse 28, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Do you see that? His works and his words declare who he is. He says, unless you believe that I am He. It's pretty clear if you ask me. Now, he doesn't say specifically, I am the Messiah, quote unquote. But he's pointing to something far, far greater than they even could have imagined. We talked about this before. Twice in these few verses, he makes profound I am statements. And he'll do it again even more powerfully in John 8, 58. Truly, truly, I say to you before, Abraham was, I am. Remember what he's saying here. He is saying that he is Yahweh. He is the I am. And the Jews picked that up. How did they respond? They tried to stone him. They knew exactly what he was saying. They were supposedly looking for the Messiah, but they had no idea what that really meant. They didn't believe him. Why didn't they believe him? Jesus answers them in verses 26 and 27, You do not believe in me because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Again, everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did demonstrated that the Father had sent him. It all proved that he was the Christ, but they didn't believe him because they didn't belong to him. We saw this last week in the first half of John chapter 10, where Jesus revealed himself as the good shepherd. Verses 3, 3b to 5, the shepherd hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers just quickly want us to see three important parts of what he's saying here in verse 27. The sheep hear his voice. They recognize who he is and what he says. They aren't deceived by imposters, at least, at least not permanently. They, they don't get permanently sucked into false teaching. As they grow in, in the understanding, their understanding of God, they will, they will grow in their, in their knowledge and they will, they will flee from, from false teaching. Jesus knows the sheep. He knows them intimately. Last week we looked at images of a shepherd tenderly caring for his sheep, sitting there at the gate as each one of his sheep comes in and examining them carefully for injuries or parasites how the, the shepherd would, would charge hard after, after an enemy of the sheep. We saw how, it, how, how David was, was an archetypical, was a, sorry, a prototypical shepherd in the way that, that he protected his flocks from, from a bear and a lion as a young boy. And also the, the sheep follow the shepherd the sheep obey the shepherd wherever they will go, wherever the shepherd leads. Maybe you've heard of Betty Scott Stam. She was a missionary in Ch- with the China Inland Mission. She reflected this attitude as, as she went to China in the first half of the 20th century. She prayed this prayer Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes all my own desires and hopes, and accept Thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to Thee to be Thine forever. Fill me and seal me with the Holy Spirit. Use me as Thou wilt, send me where Thou wilt, and work out Thy whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever. This prayer was was a comfort to me at at a very difficult time in my life a number of years ago. But this is not just the prayer for for missionaries. This is the prayer for all of those who would be a a follower of Jesus Christ. If He is not your Lord, He is not your Savior. All of Jesus' sheep can pray this prayer wholeheartedly. Betty Scott Stamm was martyred in December of 1934. She lived that out to the the end of her days, but it is not a sad ending for Betty Scott Stamm. Why? Because of verses 28 and 29 where Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus gives eternal life to his sheep. He said back in verse 10 of John 10 that he gives them abundant life. Brothers and sisters, we will never perish because Jesus, the good shepherd, has laid down his life for us. Now, of course, we're all going to to die physically unless the Lord returns first. But we will never perish. We have been given the gift of eternal life. We won't die the second death, the lake of fire. No one will snatch us out of Jesus' hand, neither thieves and robbers nor wolves. The omnipotent Father has given them to Jesus, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand either. Please turn your Bibles to Romans 8, chapter 31. In our study on Wednesday evenings of Romans, we've been been looking at at the, 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 the golden chain of salvation, as it's called, in verses... Uh, well, first in verses 29 and 30, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And we talked about how all these things are actually in, from God's perspective, in the past tense. It's a done deal. It's mission accomplished. And then so, so Paul continues in, in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Brothers and sisters, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's true of me when I walk the dog late at night in this neighborhood that seems to have taken a turn for the worse. It's true of of Pastor Maya. The only reason that anybody was able to touch him was because the Lord allowed it, and because a sovereign God had a greater purpose in the death of Pastor Maya than he would have in Pastor Maya's life. If God is for us, who can be against us? Beloved, God did not spare his own son for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? God has justified us who can bring a charge against god's elect it is god who justifies i had a really scary dream last night in which i was wrongly committed for a crime for murder and and at, towards the end of my dream i was i was weeping realizing that that i was probably going to go to jail for a crime that i didn't commit but amazingly even in my dream and i'm not speaking it wasn't prophetic but but i'm i'm speaking but but i was was speaking the gospel to myself and reminding myself that no matter what anybody said or did no matter what charge a human court could bring against me i could trust in the in the loving sovereignty of my god That's true for us. That's true of our brothers and sisters who are facing persecution around the world. But now look at at verses uh, 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And Paul here goes back again to the, the, the sheep metaphor Now many years ago I was was going to to I loosely refer to it as a as a church and I'd probably be more accurately described as a cult. This is about ten or twelve years ago, and and the leader of this group was saying that that you could lose your salvation, and that in order to keep your salvation, you need to remain a part of this group. Because if you leave this group, you're not going to stay saved. Now, I left this group when when the leader told me that I should separate from my family because I couldn't reconcile that with with honoring my father and mother. So I left this group, but there was still fear. I was was afraid that I was going to lose my my salvation until until I met, many of you have met Steve Sconce, who who opened up God's word to me and showed me this passage, showed me that, that God was keeping me Saved, that if I was truly saved, that nothing could separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so from there I saw the preservation of the saints. Now it's often referred to as perseverance of the saints, but it's not really perseverance because that implies that it's, it's, it's we who are keeping ourselves, but it's God who keeps us. It's God who keeps us. But there's more in this passage, even than, than just the glories of of the preservation of the saints. Jesus is also showing it's transitioning into, he's transitioning into another aspect of his identity, and this is far more than the Jews could handle. In verses 30 to 42. Again, these verses don't just show the glories of eternal security, they reveal the glory of the Trinity. In verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus isn't saying here that there's no distinction between him and the Father. There's a heretical position known as as modalism or oneness theology which asserts that Jesus is is God the Father and God the Son, that there's, there's no distinction. So, in a, in, But in an effort to, to explain the, the profundity of the Godhead, this is just an, one example of how people often end up in heresy. Now, the, the Greek word for, for one that, that Jesus uses here is, is the or that John uses quoting Jesus here, is the, the neuter hen, which, which means, in this context, one essence or nature. He's not using the masculine heis, which would refer to one person. It's the same word that Jesus uses in John 7.22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. So he's speaking here of, of the relationship of, in the church reflecting the relationship of the Godhead. Now we, of course, we know that, that we are the universal church, and we're, but, but that doesn't mean that we're one single person. We are individuals within the church. But we are one. Now you might be thinking, if you're taking now to the other end, you're thinking, well, hang on a second. If we're individuals, then there must be a separation. There must be a, a distinction. There must be completely separate but they aren't they are one god the trinity is god the father and god the son and god the holy spirit turn please to john chapter 1 verse 1 where John writes, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now the Word, as you look in verse 14, is the Logos. It's it's God the Son, the incarnate Christ, who was with God and was God. Now as you try to think about these things, hopefully your brain begins to hurt a little bit. How Jesus can be both fully God equal with the Father ontologically, and also be a separate entity, all the while remaining one God. As I said, there's a danger here that that we can all fall into, that, that we can try to explain using various metaphors and various analogies that will all fall short and can easily lead us into heresy. There is one God in three persons and this is all through the Scriptures. I would encourage you sometime to sit down with your Bible and look for passages where you can see the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit at work. It's it's there again and again and again. So there is a clear distinction between the Father and the Son, but we also need to be careful that we don't fall into the pitfall of the heresy of Arianism. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses or the the Russellites believe. The watchtower tract cult. They believe that Jesus is less than God. They believe that he was created by the Father. But Jesus in in this passage is saying that he is one with God. So at At the same time, he is destroying the heresy of modalism and the heresy of Arianism, even though Arianism did not exist yet. And the Jews understood exactly what he was saying, so they took up stones to stone him. Now, Jesus had already made the same point in John 5, 17 where he says, my father is working until now, and I am working. And the response then was also similar. They wanted to kill him. And John explains that this was because he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They got it, but they didn't get it. But here in John chapter 10, Jesus again refers to his works. He says, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? They couldn't make any charge against him stick. He said in John 8, 46, which of you convicts me of sin? Even these Jews knew that they couldn't bring any charge against him for his actions. He had perfectly obeyed the commandments of the Bible. We talked about he repeatedly went against the Mishnah, which was the the false law that the, the Pharisees had set up. But as far as the commands of God, he obeyed them perfectly and fully. And so they answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now without meaning to they're they're actually making a profound theological statement. Jesus is truly man and Jesus is truly God. Remember the the Chalcedonian Creed that, that countered another heresy that Jesus was not fully man. The creed says We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God, and the Jews knew what he was saying and they didn't like it one bit. So Jesus answers them by pointing to Scripture. He says in verses 35 and 36, again, whenever anybody counters what you are saying about God, the only recourse you have is Holy Scripture. The, the, who God is doesn't matter a whit when we if we look at, at our experience or our ideas of right and wrong about who God is, if you want to know who God is, look at His Word. And we need to submit ourselves and our experiences, interpret our experiences through the light of God's holy word. And Jesus does that in verses thirty five and thirty six. He says, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say to him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. Now, law here narrowly refers to the, the Pentateuch, but it was often applied to the whole Testament. And this is exactly the case here because Jesus refers in the statement to, to Psalm 82.6, which says, You are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. And verse 7 continues, Nevertheless, you like men shall die and fall like any prince. As Leon Morris explains, this passage refers to the judges in Israel and the expression God is applied to them in their exercise of their high and God-given office. The point Jesus is making is that if the Bible Refers to mere men as gods, how could they object when Jesus calls himself the Son of God? So, in challenging Jesus, not only are they challenging Scripture, but they're also rejecting the one the Father has consecrated and sent into the world. Jesus had been consecrated by the Father or set apart. This word that's that's translated here, consecrated, is the same Greek word that means made holy. As Gerald Borchardt explains, this is one of the few places where John uses holiness terminology. We'll see it also in John chapter 11. But I want us to remember when this was taking place. This is taking place at the festival of rededication or the sanctifying of the temple as as Judas Maccabeus installed, I believe it was his brother, as as high priest and they cleansed the temple, getting rid of all the the garbage that had been put there by Antiochus Epiphanes and rededicated rededicated the temple to the Lord. So this is no accident. What Jesus is saying here is that this event points to him? That he is the one who has been consecrated by the Father and set apart. He is the Messiah. He is God the Son who has come into the world and the temple. And everything about the temple points to him. Remember that the, the, the this is also known as the festival of lights. And again, there's no accident that it took place at the time when Jesus had healed the blind man. He had had given light to the man who had been born blind. Now we do need to be a little bit careful here in some of this interpretation. Many, Many scholars do agree with this position, but we need to be careful because this is not directly in Scripture. We don't want to lapse into, into, into interpreting our grid into it. But, but all through the, the, this section of John, Jesus, I believe, is presenting living parables that show who he really is, that show him that, that the Old Testament points to him. And by rejecting Jesus, these Jews are rejecting the Father himself. It's the Father who set Jesus apart. It is the Father who sent Jesus into the world. Jesus' mission was to come into the world and to save those that the Father had given them by giving up his life on the cross. And in verses 37 and 38, what does Jesus appeal to? He appeals again to his works. He says, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. His works prove undeniably who he is. He does what the Father does. He speaks that which he has heard from his Father. He and the Father are one. I bet you can probably imagine, without even reading verse 39, what they're going to do. Again, they sought to arrest him. They were doing this repeatedly, trying to arrest Jesus. They wanted to kill him from all the way back in John chapter 5. But they couldn't do it because his time had not yet come. His time will come. His time is coming very soon. We're about to to come to the end of Jesus' public ministry. The the whole second half of John's gospel is devoted just to the time immediately prior to the crucifixion. So the time is coming when he will allow himself to be led into the, the hands of the religious leaders, and he will allow himself to be killed. He is laying down his life. He has the authority to lay down his life, and he also has the authority to take it up again. But the time has not yet come, so Jesus retreats and escapes from their hands. And where does he go? He goes back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing first, and there he remained. He goes back to where his ministry had started. And there many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Remember, John the Baptist had been, had been killed by this point. But in all of, of John the Baptist's apostolic ministries, prophetic ministry, sorry, not apostolic, prophetic ministry, he had, he had pointed to the coming Christ but he didn't do that through his works. John the Baptist didn't do any mighty works. He had very mighty words. But everything that John said about Jesus was true. And many believed in him there. So as you think about about what Jesus said and about what Jesus did, what's your response? Are you following Jesus? Are you recognizing his voice? Are you obeying him? Are you laying down your life out of love for him and others? Are you following in the footsteps of the Messiah, the Good Shepherd? Now I hope that that, as I say these things, that 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 most of us on some level are, are experiencing some conviction by the Spirit, whether it's. It's, it's conviction for, for your thoughts or your attitudes or some pattern of, of sin in your lives. I hope that you're experiencing some conviction because all of us fall short in this. All of us fall short of the perfect obedience that we are required to have. Again and again, as, as, I, as I've prepared for sermons, I, I feel conviction of my own sin. It's my prayer that, that every week that I'm the first one who will come under the, the authority of God's word and the power of His spirit and be changed. But as, I can, as I, my only recourse is in those times to go to the cross. And with, with, by God's grace, a heart of repentance and faith turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. And if that's you, if the cross is your only hope, then I, I, I want to remind you to look to Jesus the author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But, if you're sitting here this morning as an unbeliever, as someone who in your heart has not truly turned away from your sin, has not put your faith in Christ and Christ alone alone, then also with the authority of God's word. I want to command you to turn away from sin, to be reconciled to God. I pray that that as we as we, we think about these things, as, as the day goes on, that we'll talk to our brothers and sisters here in the church. Don't, don't leave here. If you've been convicted, don't leave here without, without getting right with God over these things. Don't leave here without talking to somebody who is going to point you to the word of God and point you to life in Christ. And let that change the way you live your life by God's glory, for God's glory and by his grace. Let's pray.